Hey, guys. Good morning. Yeah, oh, that was nice. Thank you. Yeah, let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation. Great to be back with you this week. Um, we enjoyed our time in Michigan. Carrie rocked her teaching. Um, it was really fun. But as much as we love being with other Christians and in other churches, experiencing other worship uh, together, we miss being here. So I know uh, you guys feel that when you're away a week or two, and that's just a gift from God that we're not like, you know, we wish we could stay in this other church for a couple more weeks. We want to come back and be with you. So um, great to be back. We're going to be in Revelation 21 and then into 22 today. Starting in verse 22, kind of picking up just where we left off last week in uh, talking about the new Jerusalem. More description, more attributes of the new creation. Verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring, it in, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I think many of our hearts are heavy with what's happened in Israel this week. Um, Lord, we... We see it for what it is, a great act of evil, uh, demonic, brutal, barbarous, unconscionable. And we pray, Lord, for justice, to glorify your name through justice coming to those who have done something wicked. We pray for your mercy. For those who right now are in a living hell, held hostage, not knowing if they're going to live or die, ever see their family again. For those families who are praying, hoping, not sleeping because they have lost those so close to them. And Lord, not even having the finality of death, but uh, not knowing where they are or what's happened to them. We pray for your mercy. We pray you'd be with them. We pray you would bring good out of something terrible. 
We pray for uh, the leadership of governments, that you grant them wisdom, that you grant them a sense of, oh, Lord, I, I don't even know the word, just a clear mind uh, in a time like this to do what is right and good. Um, it's hard even to know what that is. But we pray for Israel's leaders, Lord, that they would do right according to what you hold to be right. Pray for our country, that we would be wise, that we would be courageous in coming alongside our allies. Lord, we pray for uh, the international community to apply what are good principles of justice and equity and wisdom to the situation. And that providentially you would bring about some good outcome through this terrible thing. We also pray, Lord, for the Jewish people. It just reminds us to pray for them. That in a sense they are so close to you. They have the Hebrew Bible. They have our Old Testament. And yet the cross, Jesus Christ the Messiah, is still a stumbling block to them. And we pray, Lord, that you would be merciful. You would pour out your grace upon the Jewish people. Lord, they are no longer your nation. The church, Jew and Gentile, is your people. And yet, they have every advantage to come to Christ. And many have, but we pray many more would. And that you would remove the scales from their eyes on a great scale. And bring them in. That they would be part of, in a massive way, these nations at the end that will be streaming into the great city. Lord, we Gentiles, uh, we, we need to be humble. We are simply grafted on to that great tree, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Thank you for opening up the gospel to us. But we also pray for them. Thank you, Lord, for this vision of the end where all this destruction, death, pain, evil, suffering, it just won't be part of life anymore. And so we ask by your grace that we would enter into that picture, those images, that symbolism, into the truth. And it is true. And it is coming. And that we would have great hope, even as we lament the big things and the little things that go wrong in our lives. In Jesus' name. We're slowing down these last few weeks. Maybe you noticed that. We just want to steep in the glory. Enjoy the glory for a few extra weeks. Um, all the detail, all the beauty, all the blessings. This is by far the tightest zoom in we get of heaven in the Bible. We get hints. We get, I mean, the New Testament talks about heaven all the time, but it's, it's brief. You don't get really descriptive language, and we do here. So many things to look forward to, but I want you to see not what, but who is at the center of it all. Jesus Christ, the Lamb. They will see His face. You will see His face with your own eyes. Here's an important question. Do you long to be with Jesus? 
Do you long to be with Jesus? Do you imagine it? Do you think about that moment? When you see him, when you will see him with your own eyes, it will be your own consciousness looking upon the face of the Savior. And he'll put his arms around you, warmly welcoming you in, and look you in the eye and say, well done. Well done. I imagine that, and I start to have objections. Are you looking at me? You, you know me, right? When I did these things over here, and, and you're still saying, well done, to me? And he will say, my son, there is no condemnation for those who are in me. And he may hold out his hands. Show me the scars. This is what we long for. But there are some who would like heaven and don't long for Jesus. There are some happy to go to heaven, but they don't want God. They want the blessings. They want the benefits. Streets of gold. No eternal torment in the lake of fire. No more pain, no more tears. Yes, please. Where do I sign? But they don't long to be with Jesus. They'd be fine if he skipped the party. I get all the goodies, but he's not there. Well, I, you know, I'll take it. That sounds fine. Think of a marriage. There's a lot of blessings and benefits being married to Carrie. She's quite lovely. She's kind to me, she cares for me, she supports me, prays for me, takes care of our kids, our home. But if I'm just in it for those benefits and blessings, I am using her. I need to be in it for her, committed to her. My love is for her, not what she can do for me. The same is true for Jesus. Are you in it for just what he can give you or him, who he is? He's not a ticket to something better. He is the end. He is the vision of our heart. You know, when you approach God or anyone else for the person first, you get all the benefits and blessings just thrown in. You cannot have the benefits of Jesus Christ without Jesus Christ. They are a package deal. It's the person of Christ, who he is, not just what he can do or has done, not just the benefits, and there are innumerable benefits. But do you just want the benefits, or do you long to be with him? Ask yourself that question. Do I ever think about being with Jesus? Do I want to see him? Would I be fine with a heaven that didn't include him? If you're fine with a heaven that doesn't have Jesus there, you need to take a step back. Look, in the middle of all the blessings, do you notice the text? It's just the lamb, the lamb, the lamb drawing our attention to the center and the focus of everything, the source of everything. 
Three attributes John draws our attention to today in the text. Three attributes of the new creation. Number one, a worldwide temple. Number two, an eternal light. And number three, a greater garden. Number one, a worldwide temple. Verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone... Skip down to verse 27. Sorry, I lost you there. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So in the Bible, temple equals presence of God. Temple equals presence of God. First temple is in Eden. If you study the text, it has all the characteristics of a temple. Garden temple, God dwelling with his people. Then in the tabernacle, which was kind of like a portable temple. It moved around wherever Israel went, whatever the God's people went, so God could dwell with them and be present with them. Then it moved to the temple, this architectural masterpiece. I'm going to build a house for the Lord where he can dwell with his people. All of it pointing to Jesus Christ. John tells us that Jesus is God tabernacling with us. He is the presence of God locally in a human being. Then Jesus ascends, sends his spirit to dwell within us. And now we are the temple of God. Filled and indwelt by the spirit, which the saints in the Old Testament were not. Each of those manifestations of the presence of God in a temple of some kind was limited, local, contained, restricted, even in us. It's contained. The Holy Spirit is contained. But in Revelation 21... There is no more containment. There is no more restriction. No holy of holies, no holy place, no outer courtyard. It's all the holy of holies. The whole earth is the holy of holies. The fullness of the presence of God dwelling, not just in us, but around us. In every molecule of creation. Glorified with the immediate presence of God. There's no more containment. It is worldwide temple. So that wherever you go, whatever you do, you are experiencing the special presence of God to bless you in its fullness. No containment. Why? Because there's no more sin. You can get close to God as close as a human being can because you have no more sin. As much as the temple and the tabernacle was for us to be with God, for God's people to be with Him, they could not get close. It's like a nuclear power plant. You've got to have special training, special skills to go in there. Not anybody could just go in, you're going to die. Not anymore. Not here. The radiation of the glory of God will not kill us. It will bless us because our bodies, our persons will be have fitted to receive it and to enjoy it. It's amazing. Notice the tabernacle, temple, 
most holy place, what shape were they? Square? Cube? And what did Trevor bring out of the text last week? What shape is the new Jerusalem, the dimensions that were given of the great city? Square. A cube. That's not an accident. It's a temple. It's a temple. It's just intentional. All the way from Eden, all the way through to the end. This is the fulfillment of Haggai 2.9. You haven't heard a verse from Haggai in a while, have you? The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. Speaking of the temple. The latter glory will be greater than the former. Yes, here it is. That's why Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Not just a piece of land in the Middle East, as good as that was. The earth, a fulfillment, literal fulfillment of prophecy that we will inherit the earth. The temple in Jerusalem in Revelation 21 and 22 has shed its cocoon and become what it was always meant to be, a worldwide temple. And you are priests. You are priests. Every believer is a priest. And our mission today is to expand the temple. Go out into the world filled with the Spirit and share the gospel. Expand the temple. There are names of people in our city that God has written in the book of life. So go knock on some doors. Not literally. We don't really do that. But the doors of their hearts. Knock on them with the gospel and, and some will open and some won't. That's okay. If you knock on a door and, and it doesn't open, you move on to the next door. Because God is sovereign over salvation. And, and only those whose names are written in the book of life will open. But there are some that will. That's our mission. To expand the temple until we get there. So, on the new earth, you will experience the immediate presence of God Internally, externally, in full, wherever you are, you will also experience an eternal life. Number two. Verse 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will, they will bring their glory into they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Skip down to 22.5. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Will there be a sun and a moon on the new earth? Maybe. I'd probably say Probably. It's interesting, the text doesn't say there won't be a sun or a moon, only that we won't need them for light, if you look at it carefully. We won't need them, because the light of the world will be there. So, you might have a sun, but you won't need it any more than when you go out on a sunny day, you need to bring a lamp out to see. 
So we might have a sun, but we have the light of the world. We're not going to need the light of the sun to see. All nations, all colors, all languages drawn to that light, streaming into the great city, not bringing money as though God needed that. They are the gift. They are the gift. The glory is the nations streaming in to worship God. What has God always been seeking? This is the one thing in, in, in the Gospels in particular that you, God says, I am seeking worshipers. John 4. Here they are. It's going to be this beautiful tapestry of, of colors and people and personality and, and all streaming in toward the light together, unified. And the glory that they're bringing is themselves, worshiping God forever and ever. And notice the gates are never shut. The new earth has no gated communities. Okay, What will the Christians from Florida think? What is going on here? How do we keep the bad people out? How do we keep the gators out? There's no bad people. There's no bad people you have to keep out anymore. There's no, I mean, there might be animals, but they're not going to eat you. You don't have to worry about that. You don't need gates to be shut day and night. They're always open. No locked doors. Okay, dads, you don't have to go around the house at night and lock all the doors. You don't need to. You just leave them open. It doesn't matter. There's nothing that can hurt you. You don't have to be afraid anymore. For some of you, you live in the country, having no walls or gates is not a big deal. It's normal, feel safe, feel fine. Most of the world is not like that. When Telmo and his son Wesley were here uh, a couple weeks ago, I had the chance to have them over to the house. Matt and I were sitting out on the porch with them. And uh, when they came up and walked up to the house and went on the back porch, Telmo, the first thing he said was, no walls. There's no walls. You can see out. And he's just looking around, just amazed that there's no walls. And the whole night, he's just sitting there. He's looking out. Because where he comes from, there are walls everywhere. Most of the world has walls. You have a house, wall. You have a business, wall. You have any kind of building, wall. High wall, thick wall razor wire at the top. Why? Because evil is crouching at the door. It's very real, and you need to literally check it and keep it out with a wall. The new earth will be the opposite of that. The walls do not exist to keep people out. They exist to draw people in. The gates are not there to keep people out. They are to draw people in. No more walls that keep people out. No more danger. No more fear. In the ancient world, they would have understood this so clearly because unless you got inside the gates of a city by sundown, you were in trouble. So if you traveled, you had to be there by evening because if you got locked out, they shut the gates. This was your protection. You're just out there... I mean, animals, thieves, whatever, you're unprotected. So to say the gates of the city will never shut to the original, here's what it would have been like, whoa, 
to brothers and sisters in many parts of the world, they're like, what? I can't even imagine that. The church should reflect that in our posture toward the world. An open gate. Yes, we need moral clarity on what is right and wrong. We should not call wrong right and right wrong. We should be clear. But this is not an exclusive holy club. I know some of you were raised in churches like that or you felt that. Like, if I, I can't share any real struggles or sins because that's not really what this is about. That's not what we do here. This is not a spiritual modeling agency where we come to show off and pose and posture how good we really are. You know, compared to those people out there, oh, those pagans, they're just sleeping in on Sunday. How dare they? But we, we are here. That is not who we are. That is not what the church is about. This is a spiritual hospital. We are a hospital where the sick people come to be healed by the great physician. You are a doctor. All of you Christians are doctors chosen by the great physician to heal the nations, to bring the medicine of the gospel, what every person needs, even and especially the broken. We do not turn pale when we see sin, like you might turn pale if you see a broken bone. We are doctors moving into it, toward the brokenness. You see brokenness, you come across real sin, you do not turn away. You lean in. We do not say, ooh, when we see real sin. And I, I think we're growing in this, but I, I need to challenge you. I think this is hard. When you come across someone who is not polished, who is not, they're just messy. Whatever that looks like, they're messy, they're dirty, they're broken. To not go, maybe you hold it together externally, but inside, ugh, let me get near to that. Not my cup of tea. This is not church. Brothers and sisters, we are doctors on the front lines of a war zone. This is a war. And there are people who have been shot, hurt, broken, languishing in their sin. That Jesus has given you the medicine. He sent you to the front lines. That's why you exist. I saw this, it was like, felt like a parable watching my kids. So we were in Texas. We had worshipped at another church uh, that Sunday a year ago or so. And we went to lunch and we're pulling out a lunch and we see a homeless person on the side of the road. And the kids all say, Dad, we need to stop. We, you know, we want to go minister to him. You know, internally I'm like, we got to get on the road. We got to make good time. We got, we got this and that. And they said, you know, maybe he's dangerous. And do we really need to do that? And it's inconvenient. I got to turn around. You know, I got to turn around. And I don't like turning around. And, and the kids are like, Dad, Dad, Dad. Okay. 
Yeah, so we stop, and we keep bread, peanut butter, jelly, Gatorade in a bag in our car for these situations. And so, okay, who, you know, they all want to go. I said, okay, only two of you can go. So uh, Piper and Greta, you know, jump out of the car. And they go over to this man, and, and he looks pretty tough. He's, he's been there for a while. Uh, it's cold. It just happened to be cold. It's February. Um, and so I'm watching through the window, and they go over, and he kind of sits up, and they're talking to him. They hand him the bag, and then I see them put their hands on him and pray for him. And then you know who, before they leave, she has to give him a hug. And she does, and, like, he is losing it. I, you know, we're seeing him go like this, just wiping the tears away. I mean, he smelled, guys. He was nasty. And that heart to just move into that mess. That's a parable of what we should be doing as the church. The external mess and the internal mess that we're not disgusted by it because we have been shown so much grace ourselves. How could we not move toward others and show them that same kind of grace, even if it makes us uncomfortable? It made Jesus pretty uncomfortable to go to the cross. This is who we need to be. Listen, if there are people coming to our church, joining our church, who have real problems, that is a good sign who have real struggles. That is a good sign. What we need to watch out for is people coming who are acting like they don't have any sin to confess. They're polished. They're perfect. They don't want to talk about any of those things. That's who you got to watch out for. Every conflict that I've seen in a church just about starts with people like that. Not with humble people who get the gospel. People who think, I don't know if I really need the gospel that much. I think I'm pretty good. If these people would just be a little more like me, then this church would run a lot better. We will experience an eternal light, the light of Jesus Christ. And there will be a greater garden. Number three. Last week was for the city people. This is for the country people, okay? Last week was for the builders. This is for the gardeners. God got us all covered. All right. Verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Carrie and I didn't grow up gardening or growing things. I grew up on Mars, or also known as Southern Arizona. These things don't grow. Nobody has a lawn. It's like a strange concept, a lawn. And Carrie grew up in New York City or you know suburbs of New York City, and it's just not a thing to really be a gardener or a grower we're too busy, you know, we're too busy, you got things to do. And as we become a little more country here in South Dakota, we've started gardening and, and growing things, and a lot of you have helped us with that. And 
I have to say, there's something restful about flowers and trees and a vegetable garden, just being around them, seeing them flourish. Like, I think I've felt slight euphoria at moments, just the dopamine release of like, this is really nice. Just sitting here on the bench and there's birds and there's, you know, flowers and it's just like, wow, what was I thinking? Why wasn't I doing this sooner? I'm 42. I wasted all that time. It's almost medicinal. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's the picture that God is giving us here. There's just like a medicinal quality to a garden, to a beautiful, lush, full garden. We just rest. We're just at ease. Look at the, I mean, the details. Crystal clear, pure glacial, pH 9.5, alkaline water running through the town in a river, an orchard of glorified fruit trees where just to look at them heals you. Now, what, what aren't we already healed? We're, we're in heaven, we're in the new earth. Yes, but in some sense, there's like an ongoing healing. There's like a, you know, that this is just providing for us so richly and fully. It sounds like a lot like Eden. As it was in the beginning, so it will be in the end. Only better. Only better. Here's the point. The peace and rest you experience temporarily from this first creation, from a majestic mountain, a striking sunset, um, a beautiful garden, that will be your moment-to-moment everlasting existence in this place. It won't come and go. I have those moments, it's wonderful, and then somebody's crying. Well, that ruined it. Nothing will get ruined, ever. (laughs) It will only be up, 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 forever. So when you taste those moments, think about this. On that day, you will have stepped into the real world. You will move from black and white to color. You will have woken up from the dream of sin and pain and death, and it will be no more. C.S. Lewis tries to capture that idea at the end of Narnia, in the last battle, when they go into Aslan's country. I just want to read it to you. Those hills, said Lucy, The nice woody ones and the blue ones behind, aren't they very like the southern border of Narnia? Like, cried Edmund after a moment's silence. Why, they're exactly like. And yet they're not like, said Lucy. They're different. They have more colors on them and they look further away than I remembered and they're more, more, I don't know, more like the real thing, said Diggory softly. Listen, Peter. When Aslan said you could never go back to Narnia, he meant the Narnia you were thinking of. But that was not the real Narnia. That had a beginning and an end. It was only a shadow or a copy of the real Narnia. All of the old Narnia that mattered, all the dear creatures, have been drawn into the real Narnia through the door. And of course it is different. As different as a real thing is from a shadow or as waking life is from a dream. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. 
The new one was deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you'll know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have always been looking for, though never knew until now. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this vision of the end. And we cannot wait to experience it. And Lord, if you are not there, it's nothing. It's pointless. It's useless. For you are the source of all these blessings. In you is all these blessings that spill out and overflow to those you have chosen to love. Lord Jesus, we long for you to come and so that we can wake up and experience the real earth, the real garden, the real temple, what everything has been pointing to, what everything has been moving to. And we will all say together, this is home. This is what I've been longing for all my life, though I didn't know it until now. And all because, all because, all because, Jesus loves us. When we boil it down, Father, that's it. Jesus loves us. And so we now give back a small offering with our voices and with our hearts to the God who loved us in Jesus Christ so richly. In his name we pray.